My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Richard Barrett. I'm smiling as I say his name because in our first meeting, he surprised me with what I experienced as a, a puckish humor, a mischievousness, which I really enjoyed and appreciated. He's a bit of a provocateur, uh, a bit of a devil-may-care attitude that uh, serves as a wonderful complement to the deep work he's done which, we, which is the center of our conversation today around advancing the evolution of human consciousness on the global scale. So how about that for a mouthful? The work of advancing the evolution of human consciousness on a global scale. I suppose you have to be pretty damn playful if you're willing to do work at that level. It was really fun to have Richard on the show because his, he's written so extensively and in so many different ways around what it means for human beings to continue to evolve after our bodies have reached adulthood. What does it mean for our consciousness, for our psyche to continue to evolve, even when the more obvious signs of growth have completed? And uh, he's done so much work here that to name it all would be impossible. But I think the two things I want to point you to are the Barrett Academy, for the advancement of human values, which is the hub for all of his work, for his writing, for his teaching, for his online courses, and also his latest initiative, the Humanity Awareness Initiative, which is a, a specifically a collective initiative around helping more people on planet Earth right now reach the level of consciousness where we are aware of ourselves as, as one human species and can make choices and decisions about that awareness that will ripple across, across nations, across societies, and ultimately into our collective biosphere, that precious thin layer of life on this planet that sustains all of us and that all of us are a part of. So there's so much territory here that we unpack, way more than can fit into one-hour conversation but I hope that you get a taste of the playfulness, a taste of the possibility, a taste of what it is to begin to relate to yourself and to your place in the world with more dynamism, more complexity, and a truer sense of what it is to be alive at this moment in time here on planet Earth and what we're all capable of if we allow ourselves to grow and evolve. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Richard Barrett has for us. Richard, hi. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Well, hello, Andy. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. So we were talking a bit um, before we started recording, and I'm glad we reminded ourselves to press record because I sense we could have easily had an, an amazing conversation without ever stopping going, wait a minute, we actually have to do, do this thing that we both signed up here for. But uh, I'm really grateful you're here. I'm really grateful yeah. for, for Ashley for making the introduction. And, you know, I guess maybe what I just want to start with is uh, the how I encounter your work and what it sort of has evoked in me so far. And then maybe we can just sort of follow from there and see where we go. Um, the, the word that kept, that keeps coming up for me as I, as I steep myself in your work and your kind of understanding of how people evolve and how societies evolve is this word maturation, 
maturity, this sense, I get the sense that you, that you have a deep faith in our ability as human beings to continue maturing, even after our, our bodies have stopped kind of growing, even after we've, we've sort of matured past the natural biological place. And I wonder, I wonder how that lands with you. I wonder if that, if that feels important to you, this sense that, that we can choose to keep maturing even after we've come, become adults in the way that kind of dominant society. Yeah. Says we're um, I don't use the word mature or maturing. Um, I use the word evolving. Mm. Uh, and uh, because uh, mature uh, seems to have some sort of ending. Mm. Uh, he's a very mature adult or she is a very mature well, it's like, okay, yeah, they've got to a place and that's it, you know. But there is, uh, human beings never stop growing and developing. Even the ones who are highly evolved are still evolving. And uh, what I mean by evolving, uh, I mean uh, evolving in consciousness terms. So, you know, I wrote a book um, about uh, the evolutionary human and what I called how Darwin got it wrong. And uh, basically, um, evolution has always been about consciousness. It was never about species. Um, and uh, so because when you look at the world through our three-dimensional material lenses, it does look like it was about the evolution of species. But behind that evolution was an evolution of consciousness. Mm. And that is mm. the key to understanding life on Earth. And so human beings are... Are regarded at the, uh, uh, some sort of pinnacle of consciousness uh, and, a, and a continuing. Actually, most people are living on the planet are unconscious. They don't. They they are they they live a, a life which is dependent on the opinion of others and um, mm. pleasing others, uh, fitting into society, and um, so the evolution on the consciousness evolution is all about understanding who you are, why you're here, and embracing, fully embracing your unique self, which is the soul self that you are. Mm. And uh, so the soul, um, <laughs> I've never heard of the soul maturing. I've heard the soul evolves. Um, human beings sometimes get mature, but it is a, it's a three-dimensional lens uh, that is uh, – comes, as you rightly pointed out, from the physical side. Okay, so now you have a mature body. You're now 22 years old, and um, you know, you've been through pure puberty, and you are now a mature adult. Mm. Uh, but in consciousness terms, you may be completely immature. Mm. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I mean, look at Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, a mature body, but a very immature mind. Yeah. And so... Um, still living and trying to get his needs met from the first 20 years of his life. Uh, the unmet needs he had then, he's never successfully managed to uh, to meet those needs, and he's still trying to meet those needs. Right. So anyhow, I just all of that to say that I don't really resonate very well with the word mature. I understand where it's coming from, but I do think it's a bit of a three-dimensional material perspective on our on our being, our I beingness, our, our physicality. Yeah, uh, whereas not how, we're not hmm. we're not we're not physical beings. We're actually energetic beings, hmm. and we're in a continuous evolutionary journey. Yeah, I appreciate I'll stop, how the, I'll stop that. The word might uh, imply a sense of uh, like I made it, <laughs> and therefore I might I might start to believe that there's not an an, an, an evolutionary path I can continue to follow. Well, the point is you never make it. There's nothing yeah. to make. You There's already are make. it. <laughs> you already are it. You have to just uh, allow it to unfold mm. out into the world so people can see who you really are. Mm. Um, and uh, <laughs> and that it that is unfolding into the world is the soul. And the soul can actually be extremely playful and childlike. In fact, the soul is very present in children, as you're well aware. You have two young children of your own, yeah. and um, they are very, very close to their souls because their souls are, are the, you know, they are those children are just haven't. So, a child under the age of two is really dominated by uh, their uh, 
um, reptilian mind brain, which is all about surviving. And then as you move through the next five or six years, it's the emotional mind that dominates. Um, well, originally, uh, as we uh, were created uh, in the womb and during the first uh, two years of our life, the soul was very dominant. And then it becomes less and less dominant mm. uh, because it's really suppressed. And uh, the soul uh, creates the ego to act as a buffer because it can't stand the pain of being in this world of separation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, the ego thinks it's it and it, it identifies with the body and it identifies with the three-dimensional physical world. And so it takes over and gradually the soul gets pushed, the soul mind gets pushed into the background. And um, then uh, we have to wait till we get to our 20s and 30s to try to recover the soul. Well, most mm-hmm. people don't mm-hmm. uh, because they never become conscious of who mm-hmm. they really are. Mm. They just try to fit into society and follow their parents' belief system. Mm. You've used the word unfolding a few times, and so I, um, which is really evocative for me. And, and so there's a sense in which I'm hearing you say that the ego kind of unfolds as an expression of the, of the soul's need to manage the suffering and pain of separation. Yeah. The ego is created by the soul. It's the guardian of the soul, actually, yeah. originally. Mm. You know, um, just as the ego... When it gets into a situation which it finds unbearable, uh, continually unbearable, it creates alter egos. And the alter ego then takes steps in. Now, what's amazing about the alter egos is that somebody with an alter ego, when they're in that alter ego, they can do various medical tests which might say they have diabetes or they may have, even to being partly blind. When they're not in the alter ego, they don't have diabetes and they don't, they're not partly blind. So who we are at the level of the mind affects the whole body. Yeah. And Gosh. so, yeah, so the soul creates that psychic entity called the ego to protect itself from the pain it is feeling of separation because when a baby is born, it just feels totally connected. It has no sense of other. Yeah. There yeah. is just unity and magically all its needs get met by these, well, parents or whatever. Well, many of them, sometimes babies don't get their needs met and they grow up not trusting the world. And um, and it becomes that the feeling of separation begins to dawn during those first two years of life. And they, mm. it's like the soul finds that very, very painful because it Mm. comes from a place of love and connection and the ego finds itself in a place of separation Mm. and it it, it is really hard to deal with. Mm. So anyhow, so the first half of life is about the developing of the ego in order to manage your three-dimensional existence and the second half of life is about recovering the soul Mm. if you get to that second part, which most people don't. Yeah, it sounds like it's a big if. I'm struck by the, the image of birth. I, I was speaking with um, with a doctor who works in in the labor and delivery ward, and, and he's he's a bit of a philosopher and has this idea, which we don't really have a way to test, but this idea that to a baby being born must feel like dying, must feel like you know the world that was once so comfortable becomes constraining and constricting and starts to push and force oh, and it's just a remark like incredibly intense trauma and then yes it surprise is surprise of surprises it's just the beginning yes no it's uh, you, uh, i've read a lot of a, a, a lot of uh, psychology um, books on that particular topic and it is it is uh, you know being born into this physical world is a, is a painful experience in itself yeah, and uh, is traumatic is the word, yeah. and uh, you know, it's amazing that we ever recover from that. <laughs> but when I look at your model, which will include kind of a, a image of for folks who want to see it on the on the website, but but you the sort of first half of life takes sort of is like a pyramid the way you visualize it, and then at the, at that at that moment of transforming. It's it's the center, and then the pyramid opens out again on the other side into self actualization. Yeah, don't read too much into the uh, into the uh, visual part of the model. Um, 
I, I did it that way because the model is actually built on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow had a nice, very nice pyramid. The pinnacle of the pyramid was yeah. self-actualization. Well, I said, well, okay, that's okay. Well, Mr. Maslow, I, I totally <laughs> respect Maslow. And I, what I did was I built, I said, but there are many aspects to self-actualization. And so mm. I expanded that part of the model, which means that it goes bigger. So mm-hmm. I was quite content with the fact that uh, you know, the, the the triangle at the bottom was a center point where you you know, which is really around the age of twenties, um, um, where you have a chance to individuate and then move out into the reactivation of the soul, which was present at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, yeah, people often ask me about that egg timer shape, and it's. You know, there isn't really a, a, a solid explanation for it. It's just what came to me. Yeah. And it, interestingly, I found this fascinating. About, oh, it must be 15 years ago, I, um, I found myself in, uh, in Holland, and I was, I was known for my work in uh, Ego, soul dynamics, or personal transformation. I was also known as a, for my work in organizational transformation. I was invited to a group which were holding a, a workshop. Well, I was doing a speech for two hours in this church, actually, as it happened. It was a very old church. And I was sitting on the front row waiting to go on. And I looked down, and on the floor was an old. Um, old tombstones mm. Mm. and right in front of me was a picture of that model on the tombstone mm. and I thought wow it was it was extraordinary uh, and symbolic and um, yeah I rarely talk about that but it is a, a very fond part of my memories where wow where synchronicity plays out in our lives in unbelievable ways. I mean, synchronicities are just unconnected events uh, with a common meaning, and they're unconnected from our three-dimensional material perspective. But from our fourth-dimensional energetic perspective, they're not, uh, they are totally make sense and are totally connected. It's just that we can't, from our three-dimensional mindset, we can't really make head and yeah. the tail of them. Uh, but from an energetic level, it's just normal. Right. What did you make of that in the moment, or what are you making of that synchronicity now as you kind of touch on it? Just an affirmation. Hmm. It was just hmm. a sort of like a an affirmation of um, who I am, where I was, what, what what was you know of my work, basically. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Nothing. Sometimes they're just humorous things that happen, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, symbolic, nevertheless. Yeah, there's something to, for me about like there's a sense of like you're in the right place. You, exactly. You're on the it's you're on the path. Stay with. Yeah, the path. right. It's just an affirmation in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very often what synchronicities are about. It's like, yeah. but you have to pay attention. Because uh, most people, uh, once you realize that synchronicities are messages from the soul and impulses from the soul, you uh, begin to give them a little more attention. Mm. Um, Mm. So when something happens once, it's strange. When it happens twice, you've really got to pay attention to it because it's like, oh, this is a a hidden message and uh, you have to find the meaning behind that if you want to grow and develop. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And just also the kind of poetry and metaphor and, uh, and maybe not metaphor, just kind of the literal sense of seeing mortality, standing on the floor of our mortality and being attuned to like that lineage and history that we're all a part of. That's pretty. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And as, as some scientists would believe, or as even a spiritual, spiritual, spiritual people believe, uh, there is no past. Uh, there, there is no future. We're all living in this beautiful present moment. Um, and uh, there is a, a tremendous amount of truth to that. Um, even the Aborigines, um, they, um, they talk about memories of the future. Yeah. And, uh, 
which is a, initially a strange concept. Uh, but I had a, such a memory of the future when I was about 47 years old. Mm. I was uh, in a, giving a workshop in Boulder, Colorado. I lived in uh, Washington, D.C. I was working at the World Bank, and I'd written a book called A Guide to Liberating Your Soul. I was still working at the World Bank as a transportation engineer, but in my spare time, I was following my spiritual journey. And I was giving a workshop on, um, on finding your mission in life, and um, the second day, one of the participants said to me, well, so what's your mission? And I had a very well-rehearsed affirmation, which was, I'm an internationally recognized speaker and author on personal and organizational transformation. And I wasn't, but that's my affirmation. Well, anyhow, when this person asked me that, I could not remember those words. And so um, I felt a little embarrassed. And so I said, hang on a second. And I closed my eyes, searching for those words. And out of my mouth came the words, I'm an architect of global transformation. Now, I'd never, I'd never had of those words before they'd never never been in in my life and so i knew immediately that was my soul talking to me mm. and then it was just about a year ago i was listening to a speech by um, an aboriginal elder from australia and uh, talking about memories of the future and i thought wow there it is that was it right. that's what i had i had a memory of the future because right now you know i'm <clears throat> I'm one of the founding members of the Values Task Force for the G20 nations. Yeah. I'm creating, I've got a global, uh, I, I'm the, launching a global initiative called the Humanity Awareness Initiative we, to transform the consciousness of the planet. I'm, uh, I have, a, I have a, a, a fellowship program where I take cohorts of six people through a two-year journey into deep uh, understanding of mm. who they are and how, how how they operate in the world. <clears throat> so that was a, a memory of the future. And um, so it comes back to the, what we're talking about. It's like yeah. there is a present moment and, uh, you know, what is the future and what is the past? I don't tend to spend a lot of time thinking about the past and so when if you have a little falling out with people and there is some conflict and um i tend to just let it go because it was it was actually a present moment experience in the past mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's no longer a present moment experience unless unless i have uh, hold some fear about the situation in which case i'm still angry i'm still upset i'm still and so, but being angry and upset is always about being in the past. Being yeah. f being fearful is about uh, thinking being in the future. So you you're f usually fearful about things that are haven't are coming along, and you can see now and are coming along. So fear is about the future. Anger is about the past. Uh, and if you can actually uh, leverage yourself out of both of those situations and live in the present moment, you can live outside of anger and outside of fear, mm. uh, which is a beautiful place to be because mm. you are at peace with the world. Yeah. Are you at peace with the world right now, Andy? I feel, I feel uh, quite a deep sense of peace in the moment. I'm aware of my wife upstairs managing our 10 month old, yeah. you might be able to hear him crying. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. that's distracting, isn't it? Well, it has a, or, a it has a kind of distraction, but there's a there's a sort of trust and gratitude to my partner it's, it's for, been take care, it's been for holding care. that. Yeah. yeah. And okay. and there's also a certain kind of cry. That's there's this this is a present moment awareness of what's actually happening upstairs. And there's a certain kind of cry, it's remarkable that babies have that lets you know that they're in pain versus that they want attention or they want food or, and so. So, uh, well, interesting that they're in pain. I think maybe that they have needs. That they have needs. Yeah. They have the unmet needs. and uh, Or that their big sister has knocked them on the ground. <laughs> yeah. In that case, it might be pain. Yeah. But uh, there is a, there is a, an unmet need for love in that pain. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I do. Um, in in moments, there are certainly moments where fear shows up. There are certainly moments where something we might call anxiety shows up, or moments where uh, kind of ruminating over the past shows up. And and when I'm able to, you know, what you spoke about before about ego and alter ego, 
there's a sort of um, opportunity to get in to get in conversation with those those energies or those those expressions that I have found really meaningful and important to to realize that I am not my anxiety, that it is something moving through me and that I can be in conversation with it or in relationship with it and allow it to move is, has been a big part of how I, I anchor back in the present moment. Yes. Um, very famous uh, psychotherapist, Roberto Asagioli. Um, <laughs> Hold on. Synchronicity alert was just on, on the psychosynthesis website last night, listening to the founder talk about Roberto Asagioli. <laughs> yeah. Well he, well, he undoubtedly said uh, one of the most famous expressions of Asagioli is everything you identify with dominates you. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, and, uh, the, and, and this very famous meditation, which was, I have a body, but I'm not my body. I have a mind, but I'm not my mind. I have emotions, but I'm not my emotions. Mm-hmm. It brings us back to the core of our being, which is this spiritual energetic essence, which is totally at peace. Uh, on, only our thoughts make us not at peace. Mm-hmm. And so if you can be in control of your thoughts, you can live a a totally meditative life, even running around doing everything that you do. Uh, uh, I don't say meditative. I mean, uh, I don't mean, you know, hands on knees, uh, you know, eyes closed. I'm talking about actually alive and doing stuff from a deep place of meditation. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is a place of peace so that you, realize uh, working from that place you have no needs because every time you think you have a need uh, your life is not perfect and when your <laughs> life is not perfect then fear comes in and yeah. as soon as fear comes in you become part of the problem rather than part of the solution <laughs> i love that yeah there's this sort of paradox of our guardians of our ego as guardian is that they're they're sort of guarding us from the gates of our own peace. There's a, there's a way in which they exactly. simply don't have the ability to, it's so, so how can we, well, and that, yeah, well that's what we ahead. call, yeah, how does that's, that that's the fourth stage of development, which is, um, and the fifth stage, which is um, blending the motivations of the ego with the desires of the soul. Mm. See, the, the ego has needs and the soul has desires. Um, there's a difference. Um, see the soul doesn't get angry if its desires are not met it just gets sad mm. and and then after the sadness comes depression um whereas the ego if it doesn't get its needs met it gets angry so i mean think of the last time you were impatient think of the last time you got angry you had unmet needs <laughs> yes yeah my daughter not letting me brush her teeth when i just wanted to go the hell to sleep yeah, <laughs> my ego exactly. was like come on what are you doing Exactly. You have unmet needs and and that makes you angry. Now, the soul never gets angry. It just, it has these desires which really express, begin to fully express um, in your 40s, 50s and 60s. So the first Mm. half of life is about learning how to be, your ego learning how to be in this physical world or protecting the soul. And then, um, and so once the ego fears dominate your life. This is what Asad Jioli meant. Whatever you identify with dominates you. And so uh, I find that a very useful thing. Whenever I'm having a little bit of a not good night's sleep and there's something on my mind, I just say, oh, yeah, there, there you are, Richard. Uh, you know, you're letting this uh, situation, you're identifying with this situation and it's dominating you. So you can, then I, I, I use this very simple expression, let go and let soul. Mm. I hand, hand over whatever it is that is mm. creating some level of dysfunction in my mind. I hand that over to my soul and say, okay, soul, <laughs> you can fix this by the morning, please. Because I just, um, you know, this is, <laughs> and sure enough, very quickly, when you hand something over to the soul, it finds a solution. Yeah. sometimes a mystical solution or seems mystical from our three-dimensional material perspective, right. but actually yeah. it's um, it's just this energetic world which we don't fully understand playing out in our favor because we've stopped identifying with it. Yeah. And I, like for me, that evokes a sort of trust in your soul or yourself. Exactly. 
Yeah. So that's, you know, I wrote a book called What My Soul Told Me, uh, Five Steps to Soul Activation. And uh, stop, step four is trusting your soul. Hmm. Uh, really tough to do yeah. uh, because you really, you really want to be in control. But actually, no, if you let your soul control your life, you will find a peace and tranquility and you will uh, even though and, and you begin to realize that you have no needs because every need you could possibly have is provided for you before you even know you have it mm. Mm. and uh, and that's uh, just a wonderful place to be uh in the sense that uh, there's no anxiety um you know what is anxiety it's about uh uh, having a future need, bringing fear to bear on a potential future need. Okay, so I want to, I want something to happen yeah. as a future need, and uh, I allow fear to enter that, and then I'm now anxious that that future need may not be met. Mm. And uh, so it's again, again, it's getting out of the present and living in the future, which is you know, a complete waste of time. <laughs> yeah. The, the ego, I, and I hear in that like an invitation to the ego who served an important purpose earlier on to protect us and keep us safe from too much pain to sort of say, okay, now we're ready. We can handle this. Like the ego needs to learn to trust the soul. Is that right? Exactly. Uh, exactly right. And that's what this book, what my soul told me is about. And um, a young friend of mine, a brilliant brilliant uh, musician, singer, songwriter, um, uh, together we've created a musical and it's probably going to go on stage um, later oh, this year in London. So cool. And it's all about, the, the musical is all about ego soul dynamics. It's about this wow. young man going through this transformational period. And the uh, two of the characters are, one is his ego and the other is his soul. And so the actual ego soul dynamic plays out Wow. in front of the audience uh, in the middle of this musical. That's amazing. Does it, uh, the musical have a name? Punchy. Punchy? Yeah, that's the name of the character who oh. it's, it centers around. Yeah, Punchy. I love it. It's, it's set in post-Second uh, World War London. Um, and, um, yeah, the, in the early, in the 1950s when... Uh, this is maybe before your time, but uh, the, the, we uh, young men in those days uh, were often, uh, they had a tribe called Teddy Boys. Mm. Our Teddy Boy was very, very smart boy, smart, smart person and tough, you know. Um, but um, anyhow, it's set in that era um, of, um, and uh the Teddy Boys, the, to me, it sounds sort of like a, a form of an ego, like this kind of yeah, like I'm absolutely. smart, I'm tough, I'm put together, I can handle it. Like Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the closest you can get to that, I think, is uh, Greece, you know, the musical Greece. I mean, that, oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. A, that, Got it. That yeah. Sort of, uh, John Travolta's kind of character. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. so exciting. Wow. What's that? You're, you're the songwriter. Would, would folks know who that is? Or? Uh, uh, no, he's uh, he's called Jack Jack Taroni, and uh, you can look him up on um, on uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the website where the you you can find songs and things. Oh, probably uh, Spotify or something like that. Yep. Yeah, we'll we'll share his music too. That's you can look great. up Jack on that. Cool. What an amazing! I it strikes me that that's a that's such an authentic creative, like as, as it strikes me as a really like inclusive act to create a, something that people can experience on the stage, like a real wonderful expression of this, this work yeah. you've been doing all these years. Yeah. Um, excuse me. I've got a very, <coughs> very bad coughing attack. No problem. Anyhow, I, uh, could, Jack, I could pause, uh, pause for a moment. If you want to go grab some water. Or... No, that's fine. It'll go away. Um, okay. Yeah, Jack. Uh, Jack and I. Were, I was mentoring from for some time, and then we came up with this idea because, um, uh, well, it's a long story. Don't need to go into it. Anyhow, we, Jack and I, are together with a a, a, a singer 
called Tessa Beckelmans. We um, who's from Holland and Jack from London and I, I'm in Eng- from England. We the three of us took off to Italy for a week and we built the plot for this whole thing. That's Jack so already had the music; he'd been composing for many years, um, and it was amazing how the music that he'd written just fitted into the plot of this thing like perfectly. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. I can't so wait to hear people, it. If people, you want to find out, look, Google Punchy the Musical. Okay, great. Thanks, Richard. Congrats it's, on that that project. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's not on stage yet, but it's not far from it. Amazing. Amazing. I want to, uh, let me just do a quick time check. Okay. So um, we've really been been dancing in the kind of personal experience, like what's possible for a human being as they reach a place of transformation. And, and you've sort of alluded both before we started recording and then also as, as we were recording that you sort of had this identity as a transportation engineer and, and you've got this full-time job and you have sort of an affirmation of who you are in the world. You know, I'm helping, I'm a speaker and I'm an author. And then there's this moment where something comes through you and you say, I'm actually a global architect. What was the phrase? I'm an architect of global transformation. Global transformation. So there's, so, so I wonder if we could start to thread, thread that needle of like you, something happened for you. Some, some, something <laughs> happened for you that started to make you realize that something might be possible for all well, of us. Well, it was the impulse of the soul. You see, everybody has, a, everybody is a soul. You don't, don't, I often ask people, do you have a soul or are you a soul? And the, the answer yes to both questions. Well, that's wrong answer. The, you, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. And, um, so the soul really begins to make itself felt for most people in the early 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been waiting around in the wings to, it's been suppressed, but it can't, its desires want to come out. And so for me, that meant that when I was 45, I suddenly became totally bored with my career, which up to that point I'd thoroughly enjoyed. But over a period of about six months to a year, I, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Wow. And then I said, well, what what am I going to do? Um, I mean, I had a very high-paying job at the World Bank, and I thought, well, gosh, you know. And I realized that I spent all my spare time up to that point uh, studying uh, spirituality, psychology, all of these topics, esoteric topics. And I, I thought, well, well that, that's really what's calling me. Mm. So then I thought, well, I'll, I'll write a book. That was a thought impulse from the soul. Write a book on, called A Guide to Liberating Your Soul. And, um, and that's what my life has been about ever since. You know, uh, I wrote that book in 1995, so getting up to 30 years ago. And, um, uh, and so, uh, I was just feeling the impulse of my soul to express its desires in the world. And uh, and that tends to happen in the 40s, sometimes in the late 30s. Yeah. Um, it's the fifth stage of development out of seven stages of development. Um, the fourth stage occurs uh, roughly uh, around uh, late 20s or middle 20s through to late 30s, which is the individuating stage. Up to that point, you've been... Uh, went through the surviving, conforming, and differentiating stage. And these are these stages of development are actually governed by the physical process of maturing, if I can come back to that word. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because you don't have a fully functioning mind and brain until you get to about 22. Right. So you're, everything that happens up to the age, that age is you're learning how to be in this three-dimensional material world and how to fit in so that you can get the love that you need and get the recognition that you need from your parents and from the culture in which you are being raised. And so you are thoroughly enculturated by the time you get your early 20s. It's not who you are. It's who you've learned to become to get your needs met. Mm. Mm. And then you get to the that stage and you begin to leave home and you begin to ask the question, well, who am I? Why do I need to? Why do I need to fit into everybody else's needs uh, and expectations about my life? Who am I? 
And that's the individuating stage, which mm. Carl Jung talks a lot about. And, uh, it, and this stage is all about finding freedom. And to find freedom, you have to let go of fear. And to let go of fear, you have to have courage. And so uh, the 20s and 30s are very destabilizing, can be very destabilizing for people because they have to let go of this solid foundation of knowing who they are in their society and in their culture and who they've learned to become in order to get their needs met. Mm. And they don't need that anymore. They don't need to be that person. They need to find out who they really are. Now, most of the people on the planet never get through that and never get yeah. to that even. Um, yeah, so what happens, even, say more about that, in particular in societies where, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a quite a conversation we could have about global inequity. And I sense that that's a big, actually a big part of your work, but, but in places where people have had their needs met and they reach this moment where individuation becomes possible, What's what? Why is it that so many of us stop there or retreat or what? What happens in that moment? Well, first of all, very few people get to that point mm. because you you can. Mm. Most of the world lives in authoritarian regimes yes. which do not appreciate freedom of thought. Yes. So the you know three quarters of the world live in undemocratic regimes, yeah. and so uh, freedom of thought is really not welcome. The former right. USSR current China, North Korea, Afghanistan, I mean, you name it, uh, these are even, even, even parts of, large parts of the Middle East. Uh, right. they, uh, they don't encourage individuation. They yeah, there's an act of repression in those right. cultures. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, then secondly, uh, even in the, in the democratic regimes, um, most people find it very difficult to get what Maslow called the deficiency needs met, which are the needs of surviving, safety, and security. So they are locked into daily, a daily grind of just surviving. Now, this applies to most of North America. Uh, so there are very few people in North America who are conscious. Um, you only have to look at the people who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, they... What they see in him is a role model of who they are, and uh, so they uh, they're still trying to get they're still trying to get their needs met that they never got met during the first three stages of development, mm. and so they they haven't yet become conscious. Oh, this sounds so. Actually, there are very very few people. I mean, amazingly relatively small percentage of people on the planet who are actually conscious. What does that mean? It means First of all, to become conscious, you must be aware of how your actions and behaviors impact other people and the planet. Point one. Point two, you must be aware of how your thoughts and beliefs impact your physical and mental well-being. And thirdly, you must care about that. You must care about how your thoughts impact other people, and you must care about how your thoughts and beliefs impact your physical and mental well-being. Actually, not many people really understand that their thoughts actually impact their physical and mental well-being. You yeah. know, I mean, you talk, we talk about anxiety, we talk about anger as if it's something normal. Well, actually, it's, um, it's what you create. I mean, nobody can make you angry. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's your thought about what is happening that makes you angry. Uh, so every time you get angry with somebody or something, you're giving your power away. It's like, oh, that person or that situation has power over me because it controls my emotions. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. How do you, why would you want to give your power away? Why would you want to give your power away to your baby or your young child who doesn't want to clean his teeth? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, there's something uh, kind of almost tragic comic about it, right? Like I can appreciate yeah. the comedy at the at the at the level of my momentary experience. It's sort of like, wait, Andy, look at yourself. This is just, look at you. And then there's sort of a tragic side to it, which is I, I'm hearing you say that that, which really makes sense to me that that we have built for ourselves a kind of global stage in which so many of us can't get our needs met. And as okay. a result, our egos are activated, work harder, harder, needs, needs, needs. And so there's like a whole kind of collective 
journey ahead around what, what might it look like for us to create a world in which needs are met. And then exactly. I'm also hearing you say, and still when those needs are met, that's still not necessarily a guarantee that someone's going to kind of continue towards consciousness, this place right. where they're aware of their impact on others. They're aware of that impact on themselves and they care. So, so that individuating yeah. stage is, is fine to, fundamentally important. Now there's only a group, small group of nations that have created a, a social system where that is possible. And these are the Nordic nations plus mm. New Zealand and uh, Switzerland. Mm. Uh, and these are the most evolved nations on the planet because they've actually created uh, social safety nets for everybody so that nobody needs to worry about getting their survival, safety, and security needs met yeah. because they are met through taxation and they're met through uh, everybody agreeing that for the common good, we will pay taxes. And they like they like paying taxes in those countries uh, because everybody benefits. Everybody gets the benefits of them. And, and so that's, you know, that's the individuating, the first stage. Now, the Humanity Awareness Initiative, which I'm creating now, is the next stage. Yeah. So it goes beyond. It goes beyond that stage. But um, but as I said, there are very few countries where, that where the average level of consciousness is the individuating stage, um, and uh, but at every stage it has its painful transition. You have to give up what you've learned, uh, include it, and transition through that to the next stage. Yeah. So we're uh, come back to the word you used at the beginning, maturity. Um, humanity or humanity is really not very mature yet. Um, yeah. In fact, we're basically acting like teenagers. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was my, that was sort of a, the initial instinct around like, why was that word popping into my head? And, and the sort of, if the, the trap there, and I wonder how you relate to this question because you're thinking about this on social and global scales, like, I, I've done a lot in my prior life. I did a lot of work with teenagers, education, working with, with middle schoolers and high Andy, schoolers. Andy, you're, you're too young to have had a prior life. <laughs> well, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Some days it feels like I had a prior life yesterday. Yeah, okay. I'm only joking. Go ahead. Go on. Yeah, Go on. Yeah. But I did it in, in my, before I sort of transitioned into the work I'm doing now, I was working with young people. Yeah, and yeah. teenagers are remarkable, remarkably sophisticated in certain ways and also remarkably sort of almost hysterically capable of, and this is maybe part of their individuation journey to sort of say, if you tell a teenager that they're immature, <laughs> their natural response is to say F you, which of course is the immature response, but there's kind of a trap there in that, that there's a patience that kind of just creating the right environment to let them go, to let them fall, to let them have their dramas. And then to start to see that those dramas aren't actually as, as, important and epic as they feel on the inside and there's just sort of the you kind of can't tell a teenager to grow up they just they, they have to grow up and they have to do it you can't do it for them and so when i when i think about that globally i feel that kind of that that trap of like yep. how do we help people how do we help each other grow up well uh <laughs> you, you can hold a space but you can't do yeah. it for people, you which is your very yeah. correct. Now, mm. what are, what do teenagers? Each stage of development has its own needs. So the baby stage, it's to get its physiological needs met. So uh, food, water, clean bottom, etc. Um, at the uh, age of two to eight, emotional needs. So needs a need the child needs more than anything to feel protected. Um, and in order to feel protected, it has to feel a sense of belonging, which comes along with love. Mm. Um, now, the teenager, which is, uh, you know, from nine until about 21, while the, the rational mind is growing and developing, has a, a basic need, and that is the need for recognition. Um, mm. And so, uh, mm. so uh, the teenager wants to be part of a group where it feels recognized and it wants to feel recognized by its parents. And if it's not recognized by its parents, it wants to feel recognized by the peer group. Yeah. Now, when you look at all the school shooters in America, they are really not recognized by their parents. 
and they don't belong in a, in a peer group where they get any recognition. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they go, they, 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 they commit the ultimate act of saying, look, here I am, here I am, I'm going to show you, and they go around shooting people in order to attract recognition. They, they've just not been recognized. They've not been seen. What everybody wants in the world is to be seen. They want to be seen because they want to connect. And this is fundamental in the teenage years. And so um, you can't tell a teenager very easily that they're wrong or whatever because then you are snipping the cord of being seen because yeah, they're seeing them. It's an act. It's you're sort not of an seeing act of them. Trying to erase them. Wow. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. so if you're older than the teenager and you're working with teenagers, you have to realize that all they want to do is be seen. <laughs> yes, that's so. Yeah, it's so powerful. I love how you express that and. And just, it's really the intensity of that need and how far it can lead someone to, to cause harm. Yeah, it's really... Yeah. Unbelievable. But you see, you know, that's every stage of development has has its needs uh, until you get to the higher stage where you're really trying to satisfy the last three stages, the desires of the soul. Yeah. Now, as I said earlier, the soul doesn't get angry if his desire is not met. It just gets sad and then gets depressed. And then the ego takes over and commits suicide. Yeah, you start to see how that, again, that extreme act feels feels like an extension of that the need. It's sort of, well, well this is, got it, I'm the ego, I'm the guardian. I, can, I know how I can deal with this. We'll just get rid of it. Yeah, but you see, when you get into no hope, yeah. When, Hope is the key to moving through all of these difficulties. Yes. But when there's no hope, uh, or you've less lost contact with hope, um, you just spiral down. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, a very interesting. Uh, I find out, you know, many people are searching for meaning and purpose in life, and, and but that's really just an ego need. You see, because the soul was born, the soul actually knows why it was born into your body. It absolutely knows. So. <laughs> what's the ego going on about looking for meaning and purpose? <laughs> if you connect with the soul, it's obvious. It's just there. Uh, yeah. It's there. And and so if you don't know what your meaning and purpose is, all you have to do is watch what's in front of you and surrender to the soul and watch what's in front of you unfold in front of you. And so that, um, uh, so this need for, to understand meaning and purpose is really just simply an ego need. And the surrender, you don't need to find meaning and purpose, all you need to do is just watch what unfolds in front of you and step up to whatever is there. Mm-hmm. And another thing, you know, certain part of your life, we, we get goals. You know, people say, you've got to have some goals. Well, um, that, is, that could be true at the st- certain stages, but you get to a place where you think, actually, goals are limiting. <laughs> because, because you're tapping into the power of the soul. Yeah. And and saying so, setting a goal is like maybe limiting your possibility. Like a ceiling on something, yeah. Yeah, it's like, wow. Why, why would I want to set a goal? Yeah, you know. So this, so this is like you're speaking to this incredibly beautiful possibility of of following life, of following what unfolds without attachment. Yeah. And there's this almost kind of wonderful, like. I can, I can, I've had some experiences like this and I can imagine as you describe this kind of like wonder and awe at like, look at what's unfolding. Look exactly. at what's unfolding. Like, what? Unbelievable. And, and so then, then if we, what I want to, as I tune into that, I want to kind of circle back to this work you're doing on the global level to raise people's aware, essentially I hear you saying in a way, it's like, how can we raise more people's awareness of the possibility that, that if we just allow life to unfold, so much of our striving and conflict and violence exactly. and need to be seen and depression when we're, our, our desires aren't met, like all of that could, could perhaps start exactly. to dissolve. Is that right? Exactly. So uh, each uh, worldview that has evolved, and there have been six so far, the humanity awareness is a seventh worldview. And, uh, and if you want to find out what that is, you go to humanityawarenessinitiative.org. Uh, the website has been up for a few months now. Nice. Um, but the um, the uh, each worldview uh, has uh, its own cosmology. So um, it, when we were hunter and gatherers, and there are still 
try still groups of hunter and gatherers in the remote Amazon. They 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 saw spirit life in everything, yeah. uh, in nature and everything. And then we, we were developed into tribe awareness, and we changed our cosmology to ancestor. I won't say worship, but recognition of ancestors and and how they might be able to help us, the ones who have died in our present life. And then we moved into the Greek and Roman times and there were these very powerful external gods, Mm. uh, many of them. And then we moved into, uh, I call that state awareness, and then we moved into nation awareness where the cosmology was monotheistic, either Christianity, Muslim traditions, whatever, but monotheistic. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after nation awareness came wealth awareness, where science took over, and there was no God in science. It's all random mutations, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, so we we were left with, first of all, an external God in nation awareness, then no God at all in wealth awareness and science. And then we moved from there into the fourth stage, which is people awareness. And people awareness, we God went inside. We turned to spirituality for our cosmology. And uh, and that's the cosmology of people awareness. Now we're talking about humanity awareness. So what's the cosmology of humanity awareness? Mm. It's soul awareness. Because you see, if you're focused on spirituality, it's really good. It's actually good for your mind and it's good for your body. But if you're focused on spirituality, you're focusing on the journey. You're not focusing on the destination. And and I think it's, uh, for me, I like, fine, okay, if you want to focus on the journey all your life, you'll never get there. The point is, you are a soul having a human experience. If soul awareness is the destination, you may as well get on with that right now rather than just <laughs> focusing on spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the cosmology of humanity awareness. That's where I want to take everybody. Beautiful. I'm struck, though. It's interesting. I was having an experience... Um, as you described the earliest stages, what were they? The, the, the clan awareness and tribe awareness were those? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like there were elements of that, like each stage there was kind of a a loss. It was like, Oh, we lost this direct connection to the spirit of life, but we still have a connection to our ancestors. And then we lose that. Yeah. yeah. Now we're putting that into these, these, these sort of uh, polytheistic God icons. And then we kind of lose that. And so there's just, and then yeah, all yeah. of that's lost. But but then I, I sense that as you open into humanity awareness, there, part of that, for me at least, like the sort of unfolding you talk, there's like a spirit that comes back. There's an alive. Exactly. That you're back. exactly. I knew exactly where you were going with this. Okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah. so what you're saying is it's like we did a deep dive into nothingness and now we're coming back out the other side. <laughs> yeah. and, and what's on this side is actually very similar to what was on that side when we were living in clan awareness. Yeah, but there's... And that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. I mean, the Aboriginal people never lost that. Mm. Mm. And and we mm. we lost it. Mm. And now we're trying to find it again, but mm. in, a, in, a, in a different context. But we're trying to find that same understanding, uh, the understanding of soul awareness, that the, every, the, the, whole of the, the whole of creation is alive. Everything in our in our planet is alive with energy, mm-hmm. and that's you know, and that's what the that's what these original peoples all believe. Yeah, but we lost it because we you know we got to the depth in science when when we realized that when we thought that everything was basically random mutations and there was no meaning in life at all. Wow. So is there and so any any children brought up in the worldview of wealth awareness which worship science? They've got nowhere to go if they can't deal with life. There's, there's, there's no, there's yeah. no place to deal, to, 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 no anchor for them, and so no wonder they they feel this mental fatigue. They get very, you know, many pe- many young people are in mental distress because actually there's no they've got no anchor. Right. It's like there's no content. There's no, inside of that worldview there's no context for a soul's desire. And so exactly. it's just constantly the socially, culturally, it's being repressed again and again and again. And so exactly. that sadness exactly. that you described is so present for the, for those of us who are privileged enough to have all of these physical needs met. 
we we're in this context where the soul's needs aren't being met. It sounds like exactly. That's exactly right. So uh, there's a lot that could be done to correct the world through what I call the inner curriculum. Mm. Now, the I, I didn't coin that phrase, a friend of mine did, but um, basically um, the outer curriculum represents the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The inner curriculum is what we're teaching through the Humanity Awareness Initiative. So I mm. talked to the, I talked to the UN uh, Office of Partnerships and I explained that the UN Sustainable Development Goals is really the external curriculum and what I'm producing through the Humanity Awareness Initiative is the inner curriculum. And you, if you want to accelerate the outer curriculum, you need to focus on the inner yeah. curriculum because whatever you create in consciousness appears in the external world. If you want the external world to change, then you have to change the internal world first. Yeah. Wow, that's exciting. So there's, there's sort of, a, it sounds like the Humanity Awareness Initiative is an effort to make that inner curriculum, that inner journey accessible to exactly. a, on a much larger scale. Is that right? For children, teenagers, young adults, mature adults, business leaders, political leaders. Uh, you'll see if you go to the website, we, we're developing a program for all of the different audience groups. Amazing. We'll definitely share that in the show notes with listeners. Um, but we're coming sort of to our time boundary. Before you, you mentioned earlier, I want to make sure we can also share this. You mentioned there was an Aboriginal elder who you heard speak who shared the idea of a future memory. and, and Yeah, memories uh, of the future. Memories mm-hmm. of the future, yeah. So I don't know if, if – uh, do you remember the name of that elder or perhaps – uh, No, just, I don't. It was, a, it was a sort of a general webinar, uh, and um, I don't think that person would want – their name or so even if I could remember it it's just yeah. the way of the Aboriginal people yeah. it's their ethos yeah. um, uh, is that uh, they recognize that the past and the future are all connected in the present moment yeah well I, the- I, I hope we can we'll, we'll find a way to share that idea uh, for folks listening because I sense in a way that what I'm really moved and touched by right now Richard is is a way in which you're offering us a, a memory of a possible future that we could live into. This sort exactly. Of, this sort and it's, of, yeah, and it's, it's at the level of the soul. Yeah. Because the soul actually is that future. Yeah. The soul lives in that future. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I wonder soul. maybe, could I ask Richard as we, as we close, um, there are, are lots of, the, the, the folks who are likely listening to us, to this are folks who, are who are primarily living in that uh that i guess people awareness worldview context that you yeah, described exactly yeah spirituality by. yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> and, and that's brilliant i mean it's good great yeah and what's the what's the invitation you might you sort of said come on let's get on with it like how what's the invitation you would extend to them as we close today to sort of say here's 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 how you might move, continue to move well i would say that um what you, you, you must trans- include and transcend what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So um, if you meditate, if you do yoga, if you all, these are all very healthy things for the body and the mind. But the most healthy thing you can do is to become who you really are, and that's to live the life that your soul intended for you. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you have to identify with the soul. Mm-hmm. Whatever you identify with, as Asadjuri said, dominates you. Mm-hmm. So I like to identify with my soul, and it dominates me. <laughs> Amazing. Here's to identifying with our souls. I really am inspired and touched by the possible future that's waiting for us if, if we can Yeah, so one last thing. I, I recently created a whole bunch of e-learning programs, and um, they're in four categories. If you go to the Barrett Academy website, you'll see that there's consciousness, uh, culture, coaching, and leadership. And the consciousness module has, uh, I don't know, it's three or four less, three or four e-learning courses, oh, and we've repackaged them all, and so they're extremely affordable now. And um, so, if you want to follow this conversation to its depth, I have uh, four e-learning courses that go all the way. Oh, amazing! That's at that's at BarrettAcademy.com. Folks can find um, it. There. Yeah, bardacademy.com. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So we'll definitely share that. Uh, that's wonderful. Folks who are listening, if you want to go deeper into this question of 
consciousness and evolution and the soul's desire. It sounds like that's a place they could they could. Yeah, that. you can get all these four courses for ninety nine pounds. Well, that's about one hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah, beautiful, Richard. This has been a, a real privilege and, a, and, a, and an honor and a treat. Thanks for making time today. As I told you at the beginning, Andy, I've had nothing else to do. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, um, it's been really fun. I can't wait to share this with folks. And, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. Here's, here's to allowing our soul to flourish. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.